0: Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. There we go. All right. Hey, good morning. Uh, Great to see you all today. Very excited about the chance to worship the Lord together today. Uh, I see some new faces out there. My name is Ben Thacker. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and very much uh, thankful that you're here worshiping with us today and hope you're encouraged by your time here uh, together. Um, I want to start out telling you a story about this happened about 10 or 15 years ago in my life. I worked for a small construction company, and I'd been friends with the boss. You know, I was good friends with his son, and so I'd, been, I'd known this guy forever. And uh, he decided he wanted me to go get my CDL to be able to help, uh, you know, move this company forward. And so he just one day gave me a date and a location of a place to show up. Now, I had never driven a big truck. I didn't grow up around big trucks. I didn't know anything about them. I assumed I'm going there to have some kind of a class or something to learn about this, and so I show up there on this day, and this instructor comes out, and he's like, all right, we're going to go ahead and start with your pre-trip inspection. I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. What, what do you mean? He's like, all right, walk around the vehicle. Tell me everything I need to know. I'm like, well, these are the tires. They, they're, they're blown up. That's a good thing. That's the steering wheel. I, you know, that's, that, that helps me get around. And he's like, you're, you're not prepared at all for this, are you? And I was like, no. I had no idea how to do any of this. I didn't realize my boss had paid a lot of money to send me to get this CDL test and didn't give me any heads up of anything that I was going to be doing that day. So I've, I failed that test in the first like two or three minutes I was there. So we rescheduled the test. I come back a few weeks later, and I had studied this time. And I actually was ready. He said, all right, now we're going to start out with your pre-trip inspection. I said, all right here we go. And you walk around that thing and you list all this stuff. I don't remember any of it now, but I knew it at the time. And I passed and it was great. So step one in the books. And so now step two, you actually get behind the wheel and go drive that thing around town. Here came the second problem I told you about. I'd really never driven a big vehicle before. So I'm cruising, you know, I got this. I've, you know, I I can figure this out. And there's a few rules when you're driving to get your CDL test. And one of them is if you hit a curb, it's an automatic failure, right? You can be perfect on everything else, but if you hit a curb when you turn, it's an automatic failure. Guess who didn't know that rule? Guess who also didn't know how to turn without hitting a curb? So here we go. I've done my first part. The guy was excited for me. I come around that corner. Well, he puts me in this place. I'm in the right lane. I got to make a right-hand turn. I don't know how to do that without just, like, taking out the pedestrians, you know? So, of course, I'm driving, and boom, boom. You know, oh back to the shop. So failed round number two. So round number three, a couple weeks later, my boss paid for all three of these. Kind man. So we come back to this third time and I was prepared. I was ready for my pre-trip inspection and I knew how to make my right hand turn to not hit the curb. And so I actually passed the test. And now you all let me drive teenagers around on a youth bus. Thank you. But this, the, the, the idea here was, what was so fun, when I finally passed that test, that instructor who'd been with me every step of the way was so excited for me. He was just a neat old man. He was very kind and gracious and was so encouraging to me because I finally was actually ready for the test and knew what I was doing, and I had worked for it, and so when that, day, that time came, I was prepared. Now, have you ever had a situation like that where you had a test come up and you realized you were not prepared at all? It's a terrible feeling. Romans chapter 2 is going to tell us that there's coming a day where we're going to have a test. Every person in this room, every person online, every person in the world is going to come to this day. It's called the judgment. And in this day, all of us are going to be tested. We're going to stand before the Lord as the judge of the universe and to give an account for our lives. As scary as it is to not be prepared for a CDL test or a math test, To stand before the judge of the universe and say, I didn't even know there was a test. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing to prepare for this test. And you can't come back three weeks later and try it again. That is a terrifying reality. So Romans chapter 2 and really a lot of places in the Bible warn us of this future reality called the judgment because the Bible wants us to be ready for that day. And my greatest hope and prayer is that as a people, we would be ready and prepared for that day. So that when we stand before the judge, we know why we're there. We know what we're going to give an account for. And at the end of that time, instead of it being this, this just crushing experience of regret, it can be a moment where God himself, Jesus Christ, looks at us and he could say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. But that doesn't happen by accident. That happens when we intentionally prepare and get ready for that test now. And so this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 2, and we're going to look at four realities of the judgment of, of God so that when that day comes, we are prepared. All right? So before we jump into that, would you please join me in prayer? Father, even as we sang this morning, we long for the day when you come back and you rule as our king. We long for the day where we can live in your kingdom free from the burden of sin and the weariness of this world. Father, we know that the way we live today matters significantly for what that experience will be like. And so, Father, I pray that today you would open our eyes to that. I pray that you would help us to understand what your judgment is and not just this terrifying reality, but, God, this thing that is meant to motivate us to live a life of meaning and purpose now. I pray, God, that you would guide us through your word this morning. Thank you for speaking us through the Bible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 2, as we start there, and as we, as, as, if you've not been with us, we like to study books of the Bible just verse by verse. And so we started out in chapter 1, and in chapter 1 of Romans, it comes up to this reality that there are folks here who live just an outwardly wicked life in a lot of different ways there's people who just they, they they reject the truth of God and they live as they desire and they live just openly in very wicked ways. And the Bible said those folks are going to experience judgment one day and give an account for their actions. Well, you know what's very normal in human nature when we hear Romans chapter 1 like yes, get them lord. Give them what they deserve. And when this was written to the church at Rome, this, was, this is what was happening. So the, there was two different groups of people. There was Jews and there was Gentiles. The Gentile folks were kind of known for living more outwardly, rebelliously against the Lord. And so the Jewish folks who had this long-standing relationship with God, they, they were law keepers. They lived, they lived well. They lived intentionally. And so outwardly, they looked like very holy people. And so when it came to Romans chapter 1, they were like, yes, tell them like it is. And then it turns to chapter 2, and it's actually going to address those people. The ones who feel very morally superior, the ones who feel like I'm nowhere near as bad as those folks. I don't have, I, you know, I don't have as much to worry about when it comes to my judgment because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a godly, moral individual. Romans 2 is now going to directly address those folks as well. All right, so starting out in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So just a very straightforward, to the heart verse right here. If you remember in chapter 1, it says, We all stand guilty before God because we have rejected what He's revealed in creation. And now it comes to chapter 2 and it says, you know what, we actually are all worthy of the justice and judgment of God as well because not only we rejected creation, we also have a conscience that condemns us. You see, that's what's going on here. This idea of judging, it's, it's, we have the ability to look at someone else's life and their choices and say, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. That's called sin. Well, what is it within us that allows us to call that sin in their lives? Something within us knows intrinsically the difference between right and wrong in many things. But what's happening here is these folks, they're looking at others, they're condemning others, they're judging others, they're they're calling sin, sin in other people's lives. But when it comes to themselves, what are they doing? The same thing. Do you see the hypocrisy that's in this? They're over here practicing these things while they're condemning and judging someone over here for doing the same thing. that is a very common reality in our world because maybe we look at it and say, I'm not doing the exact same thing. I'm not doing it quite as frequently or to the same extent. Therefore, this is very different. But God, the righteous judge, looks at this and he says, I see your heart. The heart attitude you're displaying is the same heart attitude that you're judging them for. You are without excuse. So both groups of people, those who are outwardly wicked lives and those who are actually living more of an inwardly wicked life, are facing this same reality of you are going to face the future judgment of the Lord. Are you ready for that? And so now he's going to go on, and we're going to look in these next verses and find four truths of the judgment of God that are going to help us, all right? So verse 2, here we see the first one. God's judgment is truth. Okay, look at this verse. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now, what does it mean that God's judgment is according to truth? You think about this, whenever we judge anything, we are making a partial judgment. I can look at your life and I can see your actions, I can see the word, I can hear the words that you say, I can see the choices that you make. One thing I can never see about you is the motive of your heart. One thing I can never completely know about you is all the background that you have had that led to this decision. I don't know the experiences that you've had. I don't know the hurts you have endured that make you see the world very differently than I do. And so anytime I'm making a judgment about somebody else, it's partial. I'm looking at it and I'm using my best judgment to figure out what's going on, but I never know the full story. But when it comes to the Lord... He always knows the full story. He knows every detail of your life. He knows every experience you've had. He knows everything you've ever heard, everything you've been taught, everything you've been raised in, every motive that you're feeling in that moment. He knows the heartaches you're experiencing when you're not on your best. He knows when you're tired, when you're hungry. He knows when you're just being nasty. He knows every detail of every decision you have ever made. Think about that. Now, this is a big deal because what this means is that one day when we stand in the presence of God, you see how Paul talks about this. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to prove that the judgment is coming. He just says it flat out. We know the judgment of God is according to truth. And why this is important is one day when we stand before the presence of the Lord, this outer image that we project is going to fall away. And what we're going to be left with is the true reality of our inner man. That inner character that you have as a man or woman is all that's going to be left. Because God judges according to truth. And when we stand there, we're not going to be able to argue with him and say, "Yeah, but you didn't think about." He did. He knows the full story. Every single detail. Even the details we're not aware of, he knows. In the end, God's verdict is the only one that matters. And you think about life, maybe you've got just a real cheerleader in your life. Who doesn't matter what you do, that person's encouraging and they just are like, You're doing so great, I'm proud of you, right? We all have, maybe you have that person in your life. That person's really fun to hear from. Because even if you feel like you've really blown it, that person's there to encourage you and lift you up and be like, You're still just great, sweetie, right? When it comes to the day of judgment, We're not judged according to that person. Maybe we wish we were, but the reality is we are judged according to truth. So we're not judged according to our biggest fan, but also we're not judged according to our biggest critic. You know, there's those people in life, it doesn't matter what you do, it's wrong. No matter how hard you tried, you screwed up. You're never enough, you're never good enough. But when it comes to the Lord, he judges according to truth. Not according to your critics, not according to your biggest fans, and not even according to your own opinion of yourself, but according to truth. Now, this is really important. When we think of, there's a story in the Gospels you're probably familiar with about a story of two men who came to the temple to pray. There was the one man who was a Pharisee, and if you know Pharisees, they're this second group we talked about, these ones who outwardly are very just grade A students, These are the people your parents would want you to be friends with because they seem like just really good people, moral people. They make wise choices. Well, that man walks in and he comes in and he's standing there and he says, he's praying. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people, that I'm not like these sinners. And there's this other man who's called a tax collector, the scum of the earth, the one who is a traitor, who has betrayed you deeply, is taking advantage of you and robbing you and hurting you. When you look at that man, you have a whole lot of thoughts that come to your mind. But that man walked in there, and he, w- he stood afar off because he didn't even feel worthy to come up, and he bowed down and laid down. And he said, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinful man. Now, when we judge externally, that's the guy you would be really mad if your daughter brought home. What are you thinking associating with these people but God judges according to truth. And so you know what the next verse says in that story? That man, that tax collector with a broken heart is the one who went home justified. But this one who the world judges as a great man and just an honorable citizen is condemned because God judges according to truth and he sees the heart. Now we may have two responses to this reality The first one, maybe you're thinking, that's not good. That ain't good that God knows every detail and every motive and every behind-the-scenes thing and every hidden thing that I've ever done. Because what we learn to do is we learn to put on this facade where we know what's the reality of our hearts, but we project an image to you that's very different. Because we care about the judgment of others. And so maybe this reality that God judges according to truth is a scary reality because we know one day I'm actually going to give a real account for my life. And now that is a part of this, but we're going to unpack this text and we're also going to see that we're also meant to see this as a really good thing. Because maybe in life your character has been falsely attacked. Maybe you've been unjustly condemned by the world and there's coming a day where God says, I'm going to judge according to truth and you're going to stand before me and I'm going to tell the world the reality of what happened in that situation. I'm going to explain the faith and the character that you demonstrated, even though you were being belittled and destroyed. On that day, we're going to be excited that God judges according to truth. Or maybe you've made choices of faith that no one else on this world is aware of. Those moments when you felt like you were being tempted and you, by faith, said, Lord, I'm gonna do what you're commanding me to do. Nobody was there to applaud you or to tell you well done, but in that day, God judges according to truth and he says, I saw that. I saw every hidden thing that you have done in faith for me. You know, there's a lot of things in life we're not sure of, situations that are hard, and you don't actually know truth, and did this really happen? This person's saying this, and, and we can just, our minds can be blown trying to figure out what is real. A lot of times in life, we can't do it, but there's coming a day when the one who judges according to truth is going to set all things right. I know what actually happened behind closed doors. The world never knew, the world maybe never believed you, but I know what happened. So God judges according to truth. Second thing we see in verse three, that God's judgment is complete. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So we say the judgment of God is complete. What I'm saying is no one will be able to escape this reality. Every one of us, One day, whether you believe in God, whether you don't believe in God, no matter what kind of life you live, every single person will stand in judgment before God. You can't escape it. You can't run from it. You can't flee from it. You, one day, will stand before the Lord. A little bit later on in Romans 14, it says this, Why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, for those of you who are Bible scholars, what do those words in yellow mean? What does the word all mean? That includes you. What does the word each mean? That includes you. The Bible doesn't give us any leeway into this reality. God's judgment is complete. Every single one of us, no matter if we live to be 100 or if we lived a very short life, wherever we were born, whatever nationality, whatever background, we will all stand before the judgment of the Lord. We will not escape it. This can be a startling reality for us because maybe this is just a thing that we just put out of our minds and we don't want to go there, we don't want to think about it. And now what, what this looks like I want to just kind of preface this here. What this looks like to stand before the Lord is going to be very different for a believer and an unbeliever, okay? Now, we're going to get back there in a minute, but I just want, I want to say that so you stay with me. When it says all, it means all. Believer, unbeliever, Jew, Gentile, wicked, righteous, all will stand before God. And now as we look at this next verse, we see this attitude continuing to flesh itself out, that God's judgment is complete, right? He says, you're not going to escape this. And then he goes on, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? There is a tragic attitude being displayed in this verse, right? Connect this to what just happened in verse 3. Verse 3, all of you will stand before God. But then he comes to these people and he says, Do you just hate God's grace and patience and long-suffering? You think, what is the connection there? Here's the reality. These people are living and they're hoping and they're, they're having this attitude that says, I know that God's gracious. I've heard that. And because God's gracious, certainly he won't judge me. Or if he does, certainly he will judge me on a big curve because he's gracious and kind and he's not gonna be mad at me one day. That is not what God's grace and forbearance and long-suffering teach. Instead, he says, what do God's grace, his goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering teach? They teach us to be drawn to him with a heart and an attitude of repentance. This is so important. God's grace doesn't teach us to hide our sins or to cover our sins because they're not important. God's grace teaches us to run to him and beg him and say, Lord, I am a sinful man not worthy to be called your child. And he says, you are forgiven. Because God sees the heart. So yes, we fail. Yes, we trample on the grace of God. Yes, he is patient with us. But here's the attitude that he's trying to help us to see. One day you will stand before God. The choice you have today is do you want to give an account for your sins then or do you want to deal with them now with a heart and an attitude of repentance? Do you see that God gives us that choice? He says if you have an attitude and a heart that is broken and understands the reality and the nastiness of our sin And looks to the Lord and says, Lord, I am wrong. You are right. I am a sinful person. He says, you will be forgiven. And I will not hold those sins against you. But if we live with a closed heart towards the Lord. And we say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care who you are. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to live my life. He says, one day you will stand before me. And you will give an account for the choices you made. And you will give an account for the reality that you have trampled on the grace of God. My grace that was meant to draw you to repentance, you have rejected it. And now you will give an account because you didn't choose to do it during your life. God's judgment is complete. This is our future reality. Your test is coming. But we praise the Lord because verse 5 and 6 tell us that the God's judgment is just. That's the heart of this passage. That yes, God's judgment is coming, but we can just take a breath because the one who is judging us is just. Verse 5 and 6 says this, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judge of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now, when we look at these words here in yellow, these are words, just just get the sense of these. How does God judge? He judges in accordance with our hearts. How does God render to us our judgments? In accordance to our deeds. Do you see this? The judgment we will face is just because it's always done in accordance to the life that we've lived. Now this is both a scary reality and a comforting reality. What this means is that God is gonna deal with us all individually. The billions of people that have lived on this earth, he knows us as individuals. He looks at our life individually and he's he's gonna judge us with perfect justice and righteousness in accordance to the life that we lived. I'm not gonna give an answer for your life. You're not gonna give an answer for mine. Your kids, you don't give an account for your parents' lives. Parents, you don't give an account for your children's lives. All of us are standing before the Lord and we will give an account for our own lives. In accordance to the life that we chose to live. And so here he's talking to this group of people who are shutting themselves off from him. And, and notice how he describes them according to your hard and impenitent heart. That word unpenitent it means unrepentant. It's this heart that can't be broken into. It's this, it's this tight, tight place that just is, is unbreakable. If that's the life you live, you're free to do it. God releases you to do it. But he says there's coming a day where you will give an account in accordance to the heart that you had. Now, we probably think of judgment. When we think of the judgment of the Lord, just naturally, because we know our own hearts, we know the wickedness that's there even when we are trying, we probably look towards God's judgment with a lot of trepidation and fear. All right, and there's an element of that that's healthy. But I want us to go on and look at these next verses because this is not just given to scare us. It's also given to highly motivate and encourage us. So when he's talking about you're going to give an account according to your deeds, look how verses 7 through 10 explain these deeds. He's going to give eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, do you see what's going on in these four verses? He's explaining two different people, those who are seeking to live their life in in honor and for the Lord's glory. Those who are living their lives with intentionality saying, God, I'm not perfect, but I am seeking to live my life in a way that is honoring to you. We see God gives, they give an account in a very different way. They're gonna experience something very different. On the flip side, we see this group of people who who says they are obeying unrighteousness and they're living with this hard heartedness. They too are gonna give an account in a very different, nasty, scary way. So God judges according to our works, not just the negative stuff, but also the positive things. And that is such an encouragement. And here's the beauty of this whole thing, is that you get to choose now what your day of judgment will be like. Today is the day you make that choice. And I want to break this down for a minute, even though Paul doesn't go here in this text. When we get into this topic of judgment, I want us to just, we're going to to think about this from a biblical perspective, a little bit bigger. Because the Bible talks about two different future judgments. One of them we find in Revelation chapter 20, and it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. This is a judgment that is only for those who have rejected Christ. Those who during their life did not place their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They rejected God's truth and they said, I don't need you for my salvation. I'm fine. I'm going to just do my own thing. I'm counting on my works. I'm counting on some other God. That's what my hope is. The people who reject God's offer of salvation will one day all stand before the great white throne of judgment. But if you have placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, if you're no longer depending on your righteousness but his, you're not going to be there because your name has been found written in the lamb's book of life and you will not face the great white throne of judgment. Now this judgment, if there's any here who have not placed their faith in Christ, you need to hear this is the future reality that you will face. Now one day you will give an account for your rejection of God and the message of salvation and for the way that you chose to live your life. This is a scary reality. When it comes to believers, we're not going to be there. and So maybe we're like, "Whoo!" and we should be like that. But the Bible also talks in numerous places, probably the most clear is 2 Corinthians 5, and it talks about this other judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Or maybe you've heard it referred to as the Bema seat of Christ. This is a judgment that's only for those who have believed. Those who have placed their faith the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they will stand there and give an account as well. But not an account because they have rejected Christ, but they are going to give an account for what did you do with the gift of salvation? What kind of a life did you live? And here in this moment, the sad reality is there's going to be a lot of regret. Do you know we use that phrase that there's no tears in heaven? The reality, when it talks about this moment, there are tears at the judgment seat of Christ. Because there are those who are going to stand there, they're going to recognize, I wasted my life. I lived my life for myself and now I'm here to give an account for it. The beauty of that is, it says, God will wipe away every tear. So somehow in God's kindness and in His gentleness and in His patience, He's going to help that individual who lives with regret. But there's another thing that happens in this judgment seat. That's where those who have lived faithfully... They have lived for the Lord. They've lived for him and not themselves. They're going to come and God, Jesus is going to say, I've seen your life. I've seen your heart. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. As believers, we're going to experience one of those two realities. And now sometimes we throw around these ideas, and I want us just to stop and think about these for a minute. Sometimes we think, as long as I get there, I don't care if I'm on the back row. As long as I'm in heaven, I'm there. Now, that sounds like a very humble thing to say, but I want us to think about what that actually means. If heaven is arranged like that, which we don't really fully know how this fleshes itself out, but what does it mean if somebody's on the back row and barely got in? It means you lived a wasted life. It means you lived a life not walking by faith in the one who gave himself for you. Why would we say we're okay with that? Or maybe we hear, I don't care as long as I got a little shack out in the woods. It's all I need in heaven. Why would you have a little shack out in the woods? Because God, who is looking to approve and give you rewards for the life you live, says there's not really much I can reward you for. You are still here. I've got a place for you. I still love you. But oh, what your life could have been. Why would we think that way? The Bible encourages us with this reality of the future judgment to say, We long to hear our Savior say, Well done. It's not so much like, I want to get there and have more than you, I want to have a bigger place than you. That's not the idea. We want to get there and hear the one we have lived for say, I approve of the life you lived, I'm proud of you. At the end of the day, that is the reward. To hear the Son who gave His life for us to say, you have lived well, well done. So today, we are making the decision for what our judgment will be. Today, we decide, do I want to stand before the great white throne of judgment or do I not? Today, we decide, what experience do I want to have at the judgment seat of Christ? Now is when we live and we prepare and we get ready for that future day. Don't be like me in the CDL test and just show up and wing it when you get there. It won't work. So I wanna just, I'm gonna put this slide up here. This is a lot of stuff right here. But I want us to think, what is God gonna judge us of for one day? If you have the app, this is on there and you could probably get it better there. But this is just, scripture has a lot more things to say than this, but we know that God judges us according to our hearts. But here's a few places where scripture says this thing right here, Someday we're going to talk about this. Our acceptance of injustice, our financial stewardship, our hospitality, our spiritual disciplines, the faithfulness in our jobs, the acceptance of suffering, loving the unlovable, my doctrinal integrity, my investment in people, and watching for Christ's return. And we could keep going. All of those things are mentioned clearly in the New Testament that says, one day we're going to talk about this. We want to know what that test is going to be like. These are some of the things that Jesus warns us of in the future. But behind all of these things, we cannot miss it. Don't live as a Pharisee. I've done all these things. My heart wasn't in it, but I did it. I let them come over to my house in hospitality, but I really wish they weren't there. You've missed it because God judges according to truth. So step number one, deal with your heart. When you deal with your heart, all those things kind of start to work themselves out. One final point, verse 11, God's judgment is impartial. Verse 11 summarizes this text so well, for there is no partiality with God. Straightforward voice, verse, but what this verse means is it doesn't matter who you were on earth in the sense of, were you famous? Or were you a nobody? Did you have a big following? Did nobody know you existed? Did you get to live to be 100 or did you only live to be one year old? When it comes to the judgment of God, there is no partiality. You may live to be 16 and live a good life. You may live to be 80 and waste it. God's judgment is impartial. So when we look at these last verses that we looked at a minute ago, and you notice Paul very clearly said when it comes to this judgment, to the Jew first and also to the Greek that doesn't freak us out like it would of those in Rome. Those in Rome, to hear them say, the Jews and the Gentiles are gonna face the same judgment, that was unthinkable. But with God, there is no partiality. When we think of just Christians who have lived a wonderful life, maybe one of the first ones that comes to your mind is Billy Graham, right? I listened to an interview with him this week. He was on like 60 Minutes and he was being interviewed and they were talking about this thing right here. And Billy Graham says, you know, he said, my greatest hope is that one day I would stand before God and he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know the next thing out of his mouth? But I'm not sure if he will. Think about that. That's not meant to like, if Billy's not gonna make it, I'm sure as heck not gonna make it. That's not what this is. Billy Graham was trying to help us understand it doesn't matter that I've preached to thousands and I've led thousands to the Lord. God is gonna judge me according to truth, just like He will somebody who can't speak. Because with God, there is no partiality. So take courage with that. That maybe you feel like, I don't have a lot to offer. God sees your heart. He knows every detail about your life. He's not judging you according to Billy Graham. He's judging you according to you. What are you doing with the gifts and talents that he's given to you? That is what you will give an account for. As we close, I just want to encourage you as a a church family, our job is to help prepare one another for this day. This is it. This is why we are here today, to help prepare each other for this day. reality me talking to you today it is my job to remind you that this day is coming and to plead with you to be ready for it whatever that means for you whether that means you need to make sure of your salvation today or you need to say Lord there's some serious changes that need to happen in my heart today is the day to prepare for that I plead with you start today Today is the day of where you are preparing for your future judgment. May we live well today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you were gracious and you were kind and you warned us of this day. That our judgment isn't a pop quiz that we didn't know was coming. You have done everything you can to to tell us that this day is coming pray in this moment, Father. May your Spirit convict our hearts. May you show us, Lord, where we are making light of this. May you reveal to us those attitudes that just dismiss what we've just heard and we just think, oh, that's the future. We'll deal with it later. God, help us to see that this is a message for today. Father, please help us to be a people who keep our eyes on the future. This world seems so consuming right now, but God, this is passing away. It's fleeting. It's nothing compared to the future, eternal reality of living with you forever. That's what's gonna matter, Lord. Father, may you find this church faithful. May every individual who's come through this church be one who stands before you and you are able to tell them, well done, my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of our rest. God, may that motivate us today to do the hard things, to make the hard decisions now, because that is the approval that we long for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word, if you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.